Well, again, good morning. Uh, I'm really glad that you're here. If we've never met before, I get to serve as lead pastor. My name is John. Uh, since we're in the room together, if you're online, you can tell somebody on the couch next to you. Uh, just turn to somebody and say, I'm glad that it's warm in here. Just do it right now. Just just remind them, hey, it's, it's warm in here. It's getting warm. We got the body heat, <laughs> you know, so it's... Uh, you know, if you've been around our church for a length of time, that's don't take that for granted, all right? So I'm really glad that the heat is on and that the snow is plowed. So uh, one thing before we jump into the sermon, I just want to say this. I am so grateful. Last weekend we talked about, uh, we kind of took a step of faith and said, what does it look like to ask God to give us dreams and visions? What's it look like for him not just to speak to us during the day, but during the night as well? And uh, last Sunday, I, I was kind of, Lindsay literally called me. She's like, are you coming home ever? Because I literally was in the lobby talking to people, uh, multiple people who had had dreams and wanted to, to pray and process them and like kind of get interpretation for them. I was like, well, I'm not Joseph, number one. <laughs> Don't hear that from this series, but, but we can try. And then even during this week, some of our staff and our leaders shared different dreams with me that God had given them or was giving them. And I think that's so awesome. Can I just say that? Like, we took a step of faith and asked, Holy Spirit, would you speak to us? And he did, and he is. And so just expect that from now on. Expect God to do that in your life from now on. And and uh, I had a dream. It was weird, definitely not from God, but I had a dream. So I'm not going to share it with you, but it was a good sign. You know, I was like, okay, at least I am dreaming and I'm somewhat remembering them. Uh, but as we continue this series, this is a second to last one. Next week, you're not gonna, you're not going to want to miss what we're going to talk about, but but today, I got to make a quick confession to you. I got to confess something to you, and, and maybe you can confess this with me too. There are seasons and times and days where I do not trust God. Like my confession to you this morning would be, I don't always trust God. And I, I'm willing to bet that in a room of this size and with knowing your own stories, that there are seasons where it's difficult for you to trust God too. Now, you may not say that. You may not like stand up on a Sunday morning and just say, hey, by the way, guys, like I don't trust God. But I think there's a lot of us who the more honest we are and the more candid we become with one another probably could say that. Like, I don't always trust God and I think the next part of Joseph's story is really enlightening because as you look at his story, you see something take place where he goes from being the slave who's about to get killed by his own family members to set into slavery with Midianites, eventually ends up in Egypt. Then he starts to interpret other people's dreams, right? Not just his own dreams, but other people's dreams. And he's in this prison situation after Pharaoh's uh, Potiphar's wife falsely accuses him of, of assaulting her. And then Pharaoh, the leader of the nation, hears that Joseph can interpret these dreams, and he's having dreams. And he's wondering, who can interpret these? Because Joseph clearly has a knack for doing this. He's got a gift for doing this, but I don't know what they mean. So we're going to pick up his story. Genesis 41, we're going to start in verse 46 and look ahead to, uh, to the end of the chapter, essentially, verse 57. So the reference will be on the screen. Pull out your phone or Bible if you have with you. With you. With you. That's funny. With you. So, essentially, before we ever get to verse 46, here's what you need to know. In chapter 41, it kicks off with Pharaoh having dreams, and he's, he's seeking Joseph to interpret the dreams. But he says something. Before we ever get to the verse I want to read, he says something significant. You need to hear this. Pharaoh, the leader of a pagan 
enemy of God nation who have, have kind of enslaved this Hebrew teenager at the time. Here's what Pharaoh says about Joseph. Verse 38. Can we find anyone like this man, one in whom is the spirit of God? I want you to catch this because Joseph did not just have a gift, like a magician's gift, because Egypt had magicians. No, that's not what's happening. Pharaoh recognizes that the Holy Spirit of God was activated in Joseph's life, that that he had a connection with someone greater than Pharaoh, and he seeks him out. He says, I need that guy to come interpret my dreams. And so in verse 41, Pharaoh says to Joseph, I hereby put you in charge of the whole land of Egypt. Then Pharaoh took his signet ring from his finger and put it on Joseph's finger. Then skipping down to verse 46. So in this story, Joseph was 30 years old when he entered the service of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. And Joseph went out from Pharaoh's presence and traveled throughout Egypt. During the seven years of abundance, the land produced plentifully. Joseph collected all the food produced in those seven years of abundance in Egypt and stored it in the cities. In each city, he put the food grown in the fields surrounding it. There's a surplus here. That's what he's talking about. There's just an abundance of food and grain and agriculture is booming and they start to collect it. Joseph stored up huge quantities of grain like the sand of the sea. It was so much that he stopped keeping records because it was beyond measure. Now, why did he do that? Why is, he, why is there fruitfulness? Why is he storing this all up? Because Pharaoh's dream, if you read early in, in 41, was that there was going to be seven years of fruitfulness followed by seven years of famine. There's going to be seven years where the land is just bursting with potential, bursting with fruit and grain, all the things that you would need to have a healthy society, it was there. But following that seven years of abundance, there was going to be seven years of famine where everything dried up. No water, no crops, no grain, livestock would likely perish, families would starve. It was a difficult seven years that they were that was on the way. And Joseph predicts this. He interprets this through Pharaoh's dream. And so he's responding in this story, just like we said. So verse 50, before the years of famine came, two sons were born to Joseph by Asenath, daughter of Potiphar, a priest of On. Joseph named his firstborn Manasseh and said, it's because God has made me forget all my trouble and all my father's household. The second son he named Ephraim and said, it is because God has made me fruitful in the land of my suffering. The seven years of abundance in Egypt came to an end. So Joseph's dream, or Pharaoh's dream, is being interpreted correctly. And the seven years of famine began, just as Joseph has said. There was famine in all the other lands, but in the whole land of Egypt, there was food. That's that's pretty interesting. All the nations and lands, regions surrounding, were still in the famine, but Egypt, which I don't think of Egypt as bursting with greenery, right? I think of sand. I think of pyramids. I think of Pharaoh. I don't think of it as like a beautiful, bountiful place, but that was what was taking place. There was famine in all the other lands, but in the whole land of Egypt, there was food. When all Egypt began to feel the famine, the people cried to Pharaoh for food. Then Pharaoh told all the Egyptians, go to Joseph and do what he tells you. Go to the Hebrew slave boy who can interpret dreams. Go to him. And do what he tells you. When the famine had spread over the whole country, so now it's leaking into Egypt, Joseph opened all the storehouses and sold grain to the Egyptians. For the famine was severe 
throughout Egypt, and all the world came to Egypt to buy grain from Joseph because the famine was severe everywhere. Now, what does this have to do with dreams, and most, most importantly, what's that have to do with you? What's that have to do with me? Well, I think there's something we learn from these couple verses that, that can apply to no matter what situation you're in that, that speaks to our trust and our faith in God. Because here's what I've noticed, and this is maybe just true for me. We often lose sight of the dream God has for us in fruitful seasons. When things are going well, I start to trick myself into believing I rule my own life. I control it. I'm the king over my household. I'm the provider. I'm the one who makes stuff happen. I'm the one who is independent. I don't need anybody else. And in fruitful seasons, we end up actually losing sight of the dream. Like you and I know, you can have seven great years of abundance and you hit a famine and we bail on God. It's like, well, he's not here anymore. We forget the dream. We miss out on the fact that he's actually still at work. And in this scenario, I mean, this famine, it's hard to overstate how severe it was. Some historians would say that people traveled as far as India to Egypt to buy food. There was no food anywhere else. Now, for context, that's about 2,700 miles, give or take. And that's without cars, that's without air travel. That, that plane ride today is 10 and a half hours long. I'm not wanting to take that, you know? So there was a desperate need in the regions around, and God had blessed Joseph's leadership through Pharaoh's dream and ends up of Egypt providing for other, other nations. But here's what I think is, is between the lines of this story. So if I'm Joseph, I've been through a lot, right? Joseph has been through a lot. If you read from chapter 37 to where we are now, he has not had it easy, he has not had it always fruitful. His life would not be one you would describe as abundant at all times. But here's what I, I believe is true. Joseph, in the seven years of fruitfulness, knew that he was going to need faith, he was going to need the abundance that God had given him in the good seasons for when that famine hit, when the hard seasons were coming. See, real faith is measured in famine, not in fruitfulness. Real faith is measured. You can see how strong your faith in, in the Lord is, not when things are going perfectly, but when things are going very much the opposite. That's when you find out where your faith is. We often measure, though, our, our faith in fruitful seasons. We're just like people all throughout the scriptures who say, things are going well, God must love me a lot. Things are going well, like God must have favor in my life. Things are going well, my business is, is blowing up, my bank account is stacked, I've got the new car, my kids are doing well, I must be good with God. But it's actually the opposite. Like in Joseph's story, he's going to hit these seven years of famine. And you know what I believe? I believe Joseph, as someone who loved and feared the Lord, was able to say, God's going to carry. There's enough grain in the barn for us to make it through these seven years of famine because that's what God said. It's a dream that God had given Joseph. I love what author uh, Bob Goff says about this. He writes, I don't care what my faith looks like. I care about what it is. I don't care about what other people view my faith to be. I don't care what my faith looks like on a Sunday morning where everyone's kind of all in it together. I care what my faith is, what it actually does in seasons of famine. And maybe for you, that season of famine is, is hard to identify. But maybe for you, it's something like prepping a funeral you never thought you'd have to prep. Maybe for you, it's sitting in marriage counseling, trying to salvage the relationship that you thought was invincible. 
Maybe for you, it is a child who, despite your best efforts, is not responding to your discipline, right? Can I get an amen in the house, you know? So maybe you're in that season right now. Maybe you're in the season, you describe it as a famine, waiting for a spouse, just yearning for someone to walk with you through life. And you just have it doesn't matter how many dates, how many apps you download, just isn't working out. And maybe for you, it's feeling unclear about the future. Maybe you, you would describe your life as in transition, maybe into retirement or out of college and trying to figure out what is my future gonna look like? And it's unclear and it's hazy and it's muddy and you're not really sure. And you describe that as a famine. Maybe you feel out of place when you walk down the halls of your school and don't feel like you fit in, don't feel like you are understood. No matter what famine looks like for you, that's where real faith is measured. Uh, I love, this is kind of a, a deep cut of a book, but in Habakkuk 2, verse 4, any, anybody having a kid soon, there's a free name. I just gave it to you, you know. Habakkuk Gorvet doesn't necessarily ring right off the tongue, but, but it's an incredible little book where there's a lot, of, a lot of interesting things that we can learn about faith. And one of the things in there, this line I heard a couple months ago just, just kind of jumped off the page to me. Habakkuk 2, verse 4 says, the righteous live by faith. Now, at, at first glance, all of us would be like, yeah, of course, that's how it works. But, but here's what I grew up understanding. I grew up understanding you accept Jesus out of faith, and then you live the rest of your life knowing he's there, but he's not close enough to actually have to depend on him. You know what I'm saying? And maybe you grew up that way too. It's like, I accepted Jesus out of faith. Isn't that enough? And Habakkuk is saying, no, it's not. The righteous, people who love and serve God, we live by faith. It literally is the fuel for our lives. Without it, we don't survive. Without it, our spiritual life depletes. Without it, we erode personally. The righteous, he says, live by faith. And I think Joseph understood this principle because you look at the two names he gives his sons. Again, probably not in your top list, but verse 51, Joseph named his firstborn Manasseh and said, this is what his name means. It is because God has made me forget all my trouble and all my father's household. What does that mean? Well, if you're Joseph, you've got a laundry list in your head of the trouble you've got, and you've got some names. I've got some names. My father's household, I've got some names. People, when I get a chance, I'm going to pay them back. I'm going to take revenge. I'm going to vindicate myself. But he says, I forgot all that. In light of God's faithfulness, in light of his, his, his provision and his mercy in the famine, I'm going to forget all that. And then the second kid, he names Ephraim, and the name Ephraim to Joseph, he declares, means it is because God has made me fruitful in the land of my suffering. And Joseph is saying, I am actually fruitful. I'm actually growing. There's abundance even in the famine. Real faith to Joseph was measured in the famine. And here's the deal. The dream it's never fully realized in famine. Let's be super clear. God does not want you to have a string of just famine season after famine season after. Like there's a natural kind of salvation in those moments that happens where sometimes you are in seasons of fruitfulness. And I'm not saying that's bad. But most of us will find ourselves, if you're not already, in a season where you would describe it as, as less than fruitful and more like famine. The dream is never fully realized in famine, but what famine can do is give us a measurement and give us a fuel to greater faith. And I wouldn't necessarily ask for it. You wouldn't ask for it. 
Some of those scenarios, you're probably like, yay, I don't want that diagnosis. No, I don't want my car to break down. No, I don't want this problem to be happening again. But real faith, friends, is measured in famine. It gives you a window of opportunity to say, God, take me deeper. God, help me to trust more. God, help me to to depend on who you are more. I don't care what my faith looks like. I care about what it is. And man, I was thinking about this. This hit me a couple weeks ago. Uh, A lot of you know, I mean, I've shared publicly that that we're kind of in this unique journey as a family where our soon-to-be-born daughter here in April has a large hole in her heart. And we've been praying and praying, and so many of you have been praying and praying for God to heal that hole in a way that only he can. Doctor said, beyond a miracle, there's nothing that's going to fix it. And I remember sitting in our last cardiology appointment. I see this kind of image on the screen. I take, we took a couple pictures of her, and then we left. And it was this weird feeling as we drove away, like, okay, there's no change in the situation, and this is our last cardiology appointment before she's born. Like, I don't get to check in on her heart until that day. And that started to really mess with me internally. And Lindsay and I have obviously processed and talked about a lot of this together. But you know what God's teaching me right now? What it looks like to have real faith. What it looks like to actually have to believe that God can do something that does not make sense. That God can do something that feels illogical. If I wrote it down, I'd be like, yeah, that's not how this works. But that's where real faith is measured. It's in those seasons. It's in those times. It's in the moments where you have to lean back on God's faithfulness and say, you've been faithful to me in the past. I've had seven years of fruitfulness, God, and you're going to carry me through just like Joseph, the seven years of famine, I trust you, not myself, not even a doctor. I trust you that you know what you're doing. And no matter the outcome, I can trust that you will be with me. And that's the most important thing. So I just want to talk about for a second, what do you do in those seasons? Maybe you're in one. Maybe you're about to be in one. Maybe you're coming out of one. But either you or somebody you know is going to face one of these seasons in the near future, I want to give you three really simple tools to walk through that I think are going to be helpful to you. And starting today, they're not rocket science and they don't take a spiritually perfect person to do them. The first one is lean back on God's faithfulness. Lean back. Remember the seven years of fruitfulness. Remember, like we just sang, and Peter did such a good job of building that, just to look back and say, God, you've never failed me. There are moments I felt like you're going to, There are moments where I wasn't sure, is there going to be a check in the mail or not? Is the car going to start or not? Is the thing going to get healed or not? Is is a person going to make it through or not? Is my mind ever going to be at peace or not? You may have felt those, but we can look back in hindsight and see God's faithfulness, not just in our church, in our community, but also in our own lives. You can look back and say, God, you, you have been faithful. The second thing is let other people in. Can I just beg you to do this one? Let other people in. If you want to see your faith built in those dry, hard, dark seasons, you cannot do that by yourself. You just can't. It is foolish to think you can go through some of the hardest things of your life in your own power, in your own strength, with just your family, your marriage, whatever it is. Just let other people in. That may be people in this room. That may be people outside of it. I don't care where it is. Let other people in. Do not walk through 
famine seasons by yourself. It builds faith to do that in community. And the third is to seek out the Holy Spirit's voice. Seek him out. What you need more than anything is not a quick fix or easy. You don't need a sermon. You don't need another song. What you need, what I need, is the voice of the Holy Spirit speaking in, encouraging, challenging, inspiring, believing, teaching, correcting. That's what I need. And that ends up fueling faith in a way that only God can do it. And friends, I would just tell you, that's where real faith is measured. It's not when things are perfect and neat. It's where things are not going well. And you may have an area of your life, it's hard to define. You're like, I wouldn't call it a famine season, but would you describe it as not going well? Would you describe it as too big for you? Would you describe it as impossible? Would you describe it as, as a dream long lost? A person you've given up on? Then you are in one. Then you have one. And friends, that's where real faith is measured. I've shared with a lot of you before, uh, I kind of have a Thursday routine. I'm a man of routines. Anybody else where you like things to be the same time every day? <laughs> okay, perfect. So there's some of us, not you. <laughs> You're like shaking your head. It's like, not me. But but here's the thing. Like that, that for me builds structure, builds organization in my life. I need some of those things. And one of those things is every Thursday, I have a section of time. Most Thursdays I have a section of time, a couple hours in the morning, where that time is for me and the Lord. It's just focus time. I've got worship music on, I'm praying, I'm journaling, I'm writing, I'm looking back on the week, I'm looking ahead to the next one. I'm just opening up my life again to say, God, I trust you again, I need you. There's things in my life I'm facing I can't carry. I just do that. And God has a way every single time when I set aside that, that section of time and he has a way of dropping a video, a text from a friend, a word from Lindsay, a worship song. It's always something that just boom, speaks directly into my situation. Every single time when I seek him out, I meet with him, he just, boom, he wants to meet with me. It's, it's incredible. It's incredibly regular for me. And on one particular Thursday morning, there was a pastor I'll, I'll often listen to. And I, I don't know why, maybe the Holy Spirit was guiding my YouTube channels. I don't know what it was, but I clicked on his sermon and I found out that the pastor uh, had lost his wife that same week. And I was like, okay, well, he's definitely not preaching. Like his name's on the title. He's probably not preaching. Obviously he just lost his wife. So kind of skimmed through the service. Worship is powerful. I'm just so encouraged. Gets a sermon and he gets up there. And I was like, are you serious? I could never do that. I'm not that strong. You know, I would, I would be a mess. And he gets up there and he kind of opens the sermon by saying, a lot of you are probably wondering why I'm here. A lot of you are kind of curious, like, what are you doing here, man? Like, go home, go be with your kids, whatever. And he said, I've looked back and I've seen God's faithfulness. And this is what he said. He said, the backslider, someone who maybe forgets about God, neglects God, the backslider heart judges God for what he didn't do. But the pure in heart judge God based on what he has done. And I watched that sermon, watched that video. I listened to that man in his late 60s say that thing, and I was floored. I was floored. I just couldn't believe it. I mean, we had recently found out about our daughter's challenge, and I was thinking about some people in our church are going through some difficult things, and I'm looking at this guy who just lost his wife. And 
And this is what he says. Friends, real faith is not measured when things are beautiful and perfect. Real faith is measured in famine. That's what Joseph's story tells me. That's what Bill's story tells me. That's what my own story has told me. And I don't know what it is for you. I just want to ask you the simple question today. With the situations you carry and face, where does God want to stretch your faith? What's the place? What's the area? Where does God want to stretch you? What is not going well? What is hard? What's heavy for you is light and easy and simple stuff for our God. And today, your, your response may just be to take it to him. I've shared with you mine. What's yours? Where does God want to stretch you and build you and strengthen your faith today? Here's what I know. Again, you don't need another sermon. A lot of that stuff you probably already knew. But here's what I want to do. I want to take a few moments to specifically pray for those of us who know what those seasons are and need God to step in. We need him to intervene and and ask for his spirit to do again what only he can do. So would you join me as we pray? God, we just bring to you those things. We don't carry in a spirit of heaviness because you say when we bring you a spirit of heaviness, you give us a spirit of joy. So we actually are somehow marked by joy in the situations of life that feel really, really difficult. That they, they, It's illogical for us to believe that you can do something. It doesn't make sense on paper. And so today, God, I'm just, I'm praying and I'm believing for the person who carries something that does feel like it's too hard for them, who knows what it is, who, who knows what the, the years of famine may look like. And God, even in that, you want to remind us that there's grain in the barn still. There's, there's food in the fridge still. There, there's a way out still. You have provided for more than what we need. And so we just reach out to you, God. We pray. I bet there's situations in here today with parents. God, it just sense there's parents or even maybe even a grandparent in the room who is longing and yearning for kids to just come back home spiritually, maybe even physically. And we just believe, God, today that you are doing that, that even in the famine of that season, you're gonna bring fruit, you're gonna bring faith, you're gonna bring uh, resolution, you're gonna bring uh, healing to a relationship. And so I pray for that grandparent or that parent today. And I ask God, would you just remind them today that you are with them, you are present, that you are faithful, even when we don't feel it, even when we don't sense it, that you are. He's the same God over and over through generation after generation, story after story, whether it's Joseph or our, our own story. God, you have made a way. And so we just say thank you for that. We trust you for that. We believe you for that today. And it's in your name we pray. Amen.